Good morning. Good morning. For those that don't know who I am, I am Andy Keimer. I am the pastor of children's and youth ministry here at Grace Chapel, and I'm coming up on my one-year anniversary here. Yes, very excited. Very excited. And uh, I'll do a little plug here for our youth that we've really been pushing service. And this past summer, we had a local mission trip, which I had a chance to share up here a little bit, which was just incredible. In June of 2018, we're going to go to Alaska. That's our our big mission trip. We're going to go to Anchorage and we're going to invest in the lives of lower income children and we're going to run their vacation Bible school. So it's our goal to give every single youth the opportunity to go to Alaska. And like any big trip like that, back-to-back trips and so forth, you know, it's $1,500, $1,800, something like that. So it's our goal to give our kids a little bit of responsibility and accountability through some fundraisers, through some fundraisers to give them a chance to pay uh, to go to Alaska. So you're going to be hearing some information about a peaches fundraiser. We're having Colorado peaches freshly delivered from Colorado and we're going to be selling them by the lug. A lug is close to 22 pounds of peaches. So if you make every peach dish there is. So just imagine Forrest Gump, where Bubba Gump's talking about all the shrimp dishes, but imagine peach dishes. If you do all of those um, by a lug. But we'll also have half lugs. And those proceeds go to our youth ministry, but they also give our kids the opportunity to lower the cost or pay for the cost to go um, to Alaska. So there'll be more information. If you have any questions, uh, you can find me out there, but there'll be an insert in the bulletin coming up. But August 8th is when the peaches will be here. So it's our goal to pre-sell all of those, and then we just kind of pass them out and you can pick them up. So uh, just a little blurb there about the peaches. Um, I get the opportunity to continue talking about our portrait series, and it's just a really incredible series and it's been awesome for me as I've had the opportunity to study the life of King Josiah and the title is the eight-year-old king because King Josiah took over when he was eight years old but before I jump into Josiah um, being a former teacher I I know that anytime there's an election season uh, there's always units and lessons about the election and this past election season a lot of elementary schools posed the question to their kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, what would you do if you were president or emperor, if they were doing kind of a world history type lesson? And some of the responses were just amazing, just absolutely amazing. I'm going to share a couple with you. Jody in first grade in Mrs. Boyle's class stated, if I was the president, I'd put a place, I'd put in place a law on bullying. If anyone disobeyed my law, they'd go to prison for 100 days. Then they'd have to take a really hard test. Because no one likes really hard tests. That'll show them. Then they would have to leave the continent forever and never return. (laughs) So firm stance on bullying. She's going to have them take that algebra test first, then kick them out of the country. Marcus, a little bit more systematic, had a schedule. If I were the president, I would have meetings at 11 a.m. right before lunch. After lunch, I would go to the golf course and play around the golf. I would then have another meeting at 5 p.m. right before I eat dinner. After dinner, I would go to bed. So he's got two meetings, relaxing a little bit throughout the day. Addie, she knew she was going to be very busy. She said, if I were in charge, I would be very, 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 very busy doing in-charge type things. (laughs) However, on my days off, I would shop, play games, play shopping games, tickle people, and push a law that states whenever a kid yells pizza, a pizza person must bring them a pizza within eight and a half minutes. So she's working on her days off. She's pushing that law. Will, I would do two things. Take out ISIS 
and make sure every store in America has ice cream. I was in Home Depot the other day and I really wanted some ice cream and there wasn't any ice cream in there. We need ice cream in every single store. Yes. Amen. As I started reading these, I started getting like my presidential tone. Could you just imagine like, and I'm going to bring ice cream to every store out there. I mean, it's fascinating if ice cream was your platform. Marcy, she went the health route. I would not allow people to eat things that were bad for them. They could only eat things that are good for their bodies, like tacos. And last but not least, Drew had a five-point plan. First, we need to be able to get that chicken on Sundays. Seriously, Chick-fil-A needs to be open on Sundays. Second, we need to take down the terrorists. Third, every city needs a building made out of marshmallows. <laughs> Sorry. Fourth, we need to pay off our debt. And fifth, we need to revisit number one, because every Sunday I just want to get some Chick-fil-A. So, could you imagine the next televised debate and the candidate keeps going back. I want to go back to that marshmallow point. I'm going to have big toothpicks. We're going to have marshmallows in every single building. But you could imagine if an eight-year-old was in charge, a little bit of chaos, a lot of humor in there. And that's ultimately King Josiah. And I'm going to try to set the stage for who King Josiah was and, and what's going on in the nation of Israel and Judah at the time. So, Basically, you have the northern kingdom and you have the southern kingdom of, the, of what was originally the 12 tribes. Uh, the northern kingdom has basically been wiped out because they've been so sinful. They've went against God. And now you have the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And you would think, seeing what has happened to the northern kingdom, they would kind of fall in line. They would worship God. But ultimately, they don't. That the nation of Judah, which is where King Josiah will reign, is very sinful. And the two significant people in his life are his grandfather and his father. And, and if you think of any time a legacy is passed down, it's you know through family. You're learning things from your grandfather. You're learning things from your father. And it's passed down. And his grandfather, Manasseh, it says in the, the Bible, in 2 Kings 21, 16, it says, Manasseh also murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled from one end to the other with innocent blood. This was in addition to the sin that he caused the people of Judah to commit, leading them to do evil in the Lord's sight. So Manasseh... If you study the story of Manasseh, you will find that there is redemption, there is forgiveness. He is humbled by God and he tries to change, but he served, he reigned for 55 years. But his legacy was based on this. I find it fascinating that it says Manasseh also murdered many. So they had already given a list of all the terrible things he did. They're like, oh yeah, he also did this. He murdered so many innocent people that the streets were covered in blood. So his grandfather, the legacy of his grandfather is one of sin, negativity, turmoil, corruption, selfishness, worshiping anything and everything except the true God. His father, Amon, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Just as his father Manasseh had done, he followed the example of his father, worshiping the same idols his father had worshipped. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and he refused to follow the Lord's way. So here's Josiah in some of the most impressionable years of his life, ages four, five, six, seven, eight. This is the legacy that is being passed down to him. His grandfather, arguably one of the worst kings when you know he was going against God, and his father may have been even worse. You know, I think we can all, if we've all had the opportunity to learn things from our parents, our grandparents, I can remember every Friday when I was eight, nine years old, my grandfather picked me up, took me golfing. I learned everything about golf from my grandpa. I learned the etiquette of golf. I learned the rules of golf. I learned the history of golf. I learned 
the skill or maybe the lack thereof skill in, in some shots of golf. Uh, but it was a legacy passed down. Same thing as my dad. I can remember being young, learning, you know, the hard work, a good work ethic. I can remember learning as I got older everything about plumbing, electrical, how to wire a switch, how to do drywall and stuff like that, that a legacy is passed down through the family. And you can imagine Josiah, it's, he's, you know, in the most formidable years where he is just listening to everything his father says, um, is, is learning from his grandfather and his father. If any of you have ever been there and maybe I'm going to sell myself short as a parent here, but my oldest son is five, and there's times where I just don't want to pick the battle and telling him no. So like, Dad, I want to go to the zoo. I want to go to the zoo. And I have my daughter who's screaming and crying, and then I have my six-month-old who's screaming and crying. So you're trying to find a way not to pick that battle. So, you know, you come up with something like, okay, buddy, I tell you what, next time it's between 78 and 82 degrees and it's the third Thursday of the month and there's an exhibit on baby camels at the zoo and the dew point is 34%, we will go to the zoo. Well, lo and behold, the five-year-old remembers everything you say and then the next month it's the exact conditions and he remembers and we have to go to the zoo. So the point I'm trying to make is here's Josiah, ages four, five, six, seven, eight. This is the legacy that he is seeing. This is the legacy that he is witnessing, that he's hearing. This isn't just some other king and he's, you know, kind of a peasant out in the crowd and he sees how bad it is. This is what he's being groomed to do. So there's a lot of things that we can learn from Josiah throughout his reign, that he takes over when he's eight years old. Manasseh dies, Amon takes over. Amon is so bad that his servants assassinate him, which then brings King Josiah into the reign at eight years of age. And it says in Second Kings 22, verses 1 and 2, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah from Bozkath. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. So I think the key verse there is he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. And what's fascinating about this portraits series is you... You know, we know the main stories, the big stories, the key figures of the Bible, and now we're learning about some lesser figures. But there are figures in the Bible that aren't even named, that aren't even talked about, but yet they're part of God's plan. Here's an eight-year-old taking over a kingdom, and yet he's trying to please the Lord. How easy would it have been for an eight-year-old to be overwhelmed? I don't want anything to do with that. Or how easy would it have been for a council that is going to be in position to give him advice, to try to manipulate him, to try to do things for their own agenda. But yet God put a council in place that helped him do the things he wanted to do and please the Lord. So I think, you know, there are stories in the Bible that don't explain everything word for word, but there is such evidence that God is in work. And God was in work right here with Josiah from an early age because the Bible tells us he took over at eight. And basically the next chapter tells us the 18th year of his reign. So there's 18 years where he's trying to please the Lord. So you know there's people around him, unnamed people that are investing in him and helping him and counseling him. So the story picks up in his 18th year. Josiah wants to fix the Lord's temple. So he sends his men to the Lord's temple and he tells them, you know, we need to raise money. We've got to fix this. And he sends them there and they're there and they find the book of the law. And most likely it was the book of Deuteronomy, but it could have been all the books from Genesis up to Deuteronomy, and they bring it back to Josiah. 
And this book had literally been lost. The kings prior to him hadn't been referencing it. They haven't been using it. They had been sinning. They had been going against God. And not only had it been lost, but the example I just gave, it had been absent. There had been no law. There had been no referencing God's word. And it says in 2 Kings 22.11, When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. So he had his high priest read it to him. And when he heard what the law said, he literally ripped his clothes. Kevin talked about it last week with Mordecai ripping his clothes. And what this is, there's a Jewish tradition when you are in that much despair, right? That is the quintessential way to show people that you are just broken. Could you imagine that today? You're at a staff meeting and someone asks, hey, John, how was the second quarter? Well, sir, the second quarter we were actually down 40%. And the boss just, ah, just rips his shirt. It'd be kind of strange. You go to a parent conference meeting and you go in and the teacher just lays a truth bomb on you that your son or daughter, oh, he's a bully. He doesn't try. He hits me, throws things at me. You as a parent, just you're in despair. You just want to rip your shirt, right? Black Friday shopping. You've been waiting in line since like the Tuesday before because that's when it starts. Right, you get up there to buy that one thing you want, and it's it's sold out. You just ugh, rip your shirt. Right, that's not normal today. Well, maybe that's normal on Black Friday shopping because that's insane. But it's not normal today. We would think of. Have you ever been told something where you literally feel sick to your stomach, where maybe it drops you to your knees, where immediately you are sobbing, uh, you are in despair, you are in distraught. That's how Josiah was. He heard the law of the land for the first time, and he realized the gap that was between his life and the life God wanted him to lead. He realized there was a gap between his nation and what God expected of his nation. And the things we can learn from Josiah, first and foremost, is he wasn't tolerant. I always find it fascinating that, you know, we watch movies, we read books, and there's always a character here or there that we can really resonate with. We can really like, oh yeah, of the 15 characters in this book, I can really... You know, that's me right there. But, you know, the Bible is filled with characters that we can all sympathize with, we can all empathize with, because we've been through the exact thing. And that's what's amazing. It's filled with characters that can teach us because it's the exact thing we're going through. And what we can learn from Josiah, number one, he wasn't tolerant. And I want to be careful with how I talk about intolerance and tolerant because society today tells us that if you're not tolerant, right, you're racist, you're a bigot, you're sexist. You're homophobic. You're Islamophobic. If you're not tolerant to everyone, if you show any intolerance, that, that means you don't care about that person. That means you don't respect that person. You don't want anything to do with that person. But that's not exactly true. The definition of tolerant is a willingness to a, allow the existence of opinions or behavior that one does not necessarily agree with. Once again, the willingness to allow the existence of opinions or behavior that one does not necessarily agree with. Fifty years ago, Billy Graham wrote an article called The Sin of Tolerance. That as Christians, if we become too tolerant in our society and allow too much to go on, we basically create a bridge between us and God. We are distancing our relationship with Christ because we are too tolerant with what is going on. The American Culture and Faith Institute conducted a survey of over 6,000 people. 5,000 of the people were picked out of Christian groups, churches, so they had to be Christian. The other thousand people were just general public. And the goal of the survey was to ad- identify how many people are truly living a biblical worldview. 
It's one thing Jeff talks about all the time, living a biblical worldview. So there was 40 questions, and basically the participants, if they answered you know, within biblical theology on 30 out of the 40, then they deemed them, hey, they're living a biblical worldview. And they were specific instances, specific situations about sin, about, you know, just things that are going on in our world. There was a precursor. There was five questions that just identified, you know, kind of where their stance was on the Bible, Jesus, sin, Satan. Um, And 99% of the survey said the Bible is truth that Jesus is real, Satan is real, hell is real. So there is basically a baseline there that, you know, there is a standard that there's truth to the Bible. But when they ask these specific questions about, you know, sin and morals and people doing just what they want to do, they found that of these 6,000 people, remember 5,000 of them are already Christians. The other 1,000, they may have been Christians, they may have not. 10% of the survey was truly living out a biblical worldview. The age group from 18 to 29, 4% was truly living out a biblical worldview. Statements such as moral truth depends upon the circumstance and the perspective of the situation was an answer that was given by a lot of people that age. See, we have grown to be too tolerant of certain things in our society, which then make it okay. But the example Josiah gives us and the example that Jesus gives us, that it is okay and we should be intolerant to certain things. Jesus was intolerant to hypocrisy. He was intolerant to selfishness. He was intolerant to sin. He didn't have the willingness to let it exist. He wanted to eliminate it. And ultimately, that's what Josiah was. He heard the book of the law. He heard God's word and knew, and knew I could no longer be tolerant of sin. I needed to eliminate it. And there's always a balance with everything, right? We don't want to go out into the world and find someone that's sinning and just say, I'm intolerant, I don't want anything to do with that person. Jesus gives us the best example, and Josiah does it as well. You can be tolerant of the sinner, but intolerant of the sin. You can have a relationship with the sinner, but intolerant of what they're doing. Jesus, you know, with the adulteress, with the prostitute, right? He hated the sin. But he spoke. He had respect. He said, go and sin no more. Josiah hears the book of the law and is intolerant to sin. He needs to eliminate the sin. See, too often in society, we're too tolerant because of what society tells us. We have to accept everyone exactly how they are. Yes, we need to respect everyone. We can love everyone, but we can have a conversation about, hey, I don't agree with that or what you're doing is wrong based off what the Bible says. But society tells us that if we have a disagreement, if we don't like something, then that means we must hate that person and we view everything they do as wrong. So we want to find the balance, and Josiah had the perfect balance. He was going to eliminate sin. He was going to be tolerant of the people in his nation, but intolerant to sin. Josiah was also obedient. It says in 2 Kings 23, 24-25, Josiah also got rid of the mediums and physics, I'm sorry, psychics, the household gods, the idols, and every kind of detestable practice, both in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Judah. He did this in obedience to the laws written in the scroll that Hilkiah, the priest, had found in the Lord's temple. Never before had been a king like Josiah, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses, and there has never been a king like him since." 
His great-grandfather, Hezekiah, is known as the most trusting king. Josiah will go down as the most obedient king. He was obedient. He was obedient. He took the word of God, and that's what he applied to his reality. That's what he applied to his life. His desire wasn't to be a popular king. His desire wasn't to you know, have people like him or create this incredible economy. He wanted to be obedient to God. And the example or his formula of how he did it is what we can apply to our own life. First and foremost, he based his life on the word of God. Remember, he heard it the first time, and this was someone that was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to please the Lord, but he realized how far away he was. He ripped his clothes in despair. The kings before him, and they weren't even trying to please the Lord. They were basically promoting everything against the Lord. So he based his life on the word of God. He recognized sin. He recognized the sin that was going on in his own life, and he recognized sin that was going on in his nation. He eliminated sinful practice, and he attacked the cause of sin. Christopher Wright, a missionary spokesperson and author, said this about how we apply God's word to our life. He said, we need to flip-flop our thinking. We need to stop saying, does the Bible apply to my life? We need to ask, rather, does my life conform to the Bible? My life is not the horizon of reality. The Bible is. We need to see that as we conform our lives to the Bible, it is sufficient to teach us how to become a Christian, how to walk with God, how to live for him, how to serve others. We don't need to construct some worldview and then fit the Bible into it. The Bible declares what reality is, and we need to conform to that reality. The Bible is sufficient for all our needs. See, Josiah just didn't talk about obedience. He took the word of God. That was his reality and then he based everything off of that. Too often we have our worldviews and you know, we have things that we're comfortable with and we end up trying to fit the Bible into our life and try and, instead of conforming our life to the Bible. It's hard. It's really hard. We're not going to be perfect. No one expects us to be perfect. God knows we're going to sin. But if that was our goal, to be that obedient in everything we did, could you just imagine the world we would have today? Could you imagine how many relationships wouldn't be broken? Could you imagine how many workplaces would be better? How many marriages would be saved? If everyone's goal was to be obedient. See, his first step was he based his life on the word of God. His second step was he recognized sin. So often we fail in those first two steps. We don't base our life on the word of God. We base our life on culture, on what's going around, what everyone else, is, what everyone else says is okay. We don't even recognize sin. His second and third steps, or his third and fourth steps, he eliminated sinful practice and he attacked the cause of sin. This is how he was going to be obedient. This is how his nation was going to be obedient. The 23rd chapter has 23 verses of him doing religious reform and just breaking down pagan shrines, breaking down altars, kicking out people that aren't obedient to Christ. So he walked the walk. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. And that's ultimately what we need to do in our life. We need to base it off the word of God, base it off the truth. We need to recognize sin. We need to eliminate right, those sinful practices or the causes of sin. If we struggle with alcohol, it's not a good idea to go hang out at the bar. If we struggle with temptation, there's a lot of situations you shouldn't even put yourself in. And that's the example Josiah gives us, that he is ridding his nation of sin. He's not even giving people opportunities to worship false gods. He is tearing that 
all down. To go hand in hand with obedience, Josiah was wholeheartedly devoted to God. He was all in to God. We talked to our youth this past week. Are you all in? And they're like, yeah, I'm all in. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, you're, no. <laughs> you're not. Right? And that's okay. And that's okay. But if our goal can be to be wholehearted and put everything towards Christ, then that is amazing. An article in Christianity Today had this quote about Christianity Today, about what was going on in the world. It states, we drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. Right? We make excuses for our sin. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Right? We rationalize. We make excuses. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm just hanging out. I'm, just, I'm tolerant of society. I'm just accepting of society. But see, Josiah was all in. He was all in. He didn't have mild enthusiasm. He wasn't partially obedient. His service wasn't driven by convenience. Yeah, I can serve when it you know, works with my schedule. He was all in. He was wholeheartedly devoted to God. He wasn't half-hearted. It wasn't three quarters, five, six. 100% of his life was devoted to God. He sinned. He made mistakes. But he went to God for everything. Second Chronicles 34, 29 through 33 kind of brings this point home as well. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the Levites, all the people from the greatest to the least. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillars and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws, decrees with all his heart and soul. He promised to obey all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. And he required everyone in Jerusalem and the people of Benjamin to make a similar pledge. The people of Jerusalem did so, renewing their covenant with God, the God of their ancestors. So Josiah removed all the detestable idols from the entire land of Israel and required everyone to worship the Lord their God. And throughout the rest of his life, they did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors. See, whole, wholeheartedness pursuit of God is a single pursuit. There's no reservations. There's no excuses. There's no, I'll do it on you know, my time. It's constant. It's constantly being obedient. And Josiah is laying out the blueprint of how to be obedient. And we're going to fail, but we shouldn't fail because we don't try. Josiah also took full advantage of the platform that he was given. And Drew talked about this two weeks ago of, of having a platform in your life and taking full advantage no matter what it is. Here is an eight-year-old king whose father and grandfather's legacy is just miserable. And he's eight years old, ruling a nation, but he took full advantage. There was everything was against him for him to fail. But he took full advantage and glorified God in everything he did. When I was a junior in college, I went to a small school, Adrian College, up in Adrian, Michigan. Had the opportunity to be involved in a lot of different activities, and it was a small school. There was about 1,400 kids there, 1,200 kids there when I was there. And there was a member of Campus Crusade from Christ from the University of Michigan came down, and we were going to start a branch at Adrian College. 
And he kept telling me how, the impact that I could have, but yet I kept making excuses. And I, I'm, you know, I'm just a junior. I'm not really outspoken. You know, I have a, a small group of friends. I kept minimizing the platform that I had. And I wish this story ended great. I wish I saved everyone at Adrian College. But, but ultimately, the excuses kept me from really glorifying God on my platform. And I remember him taking a piece of paper and saying, okay, how many classes are you in? And we wrote down the number of people I had class with, the number of people that every single week, two or three hours, I had a chance to impact. Okay, you're on the football team. You're on the basketball team. That's another 150. Okay, you're in residence life. You're in charge of this dorm. That's another 200 kids that you see every single day. You have a monthly meeting. You are invested in them. These aren't just kids that you just happen to walk by and wave or see at the cafeteria. So we looked at the platform that I had just based on my everyday life, just my classes, the activities I was in, and we came up with a number of 725 kids. Over half of the campus I was exposed to at least an hour a week, some 30 hours a week. But yet I minimize my platform, and that is a problem we do today. We minimize it or we put it off. I shared this with the youth that when I was in middle school, I always thought, well, I'm just in middle school. What am I going to be able to do? I'm just in middle school. I'm just 13 years old. Well, I'm just a junior in high school. I'm just a junior in college. I'm just a first-year teacher. I'm just a father of one just trying to figure it out. And before you know it, we keep putting it off. We keep putting it off. You know, when I am in charge of the company, when I make more money, then I will give to the church. And we keep putting our platform off instead of taking the platform that God has given us and glorifying God. And that's what Josiah did. I can't imagine many eight-year-olds, yes, selfishly, they maybe want to be like, yeah, I want to be in charge of a nation, I want to be president, but they really knew the responsibility that went with it. Most eight-year-olds would say, no, no, I want to eat mac and cheese, ride my bike, hang out, play video games. But Josiah took the platform, was obedient to God, eliminated sin, and led his nation back to what God expected them to be. And that's our challenge today. Can we take advantage of the platform that God has given us or maybe God hasn't given us a platform. We've fallen into sin in a certain area. Can we use God on that platform to glorify him? And I always try to give our high school kids a challenge when they leave. Like when you go out, I want you to think. I don't want you just to hear this story, listen to some music, eat some donuts, laugh a little bit, have fun. I, I do want you to think. I want you to be drawn closer to God. And that's the challenge we have for everyone here because too often... You know, well, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just, you know, I'm not the boss. I'm just kind of the employee. But we forget to realize the impact we have on our own kids who then go to school and have an impact on other kids, who then maybe go home and have an impact on their parents, who then maybe go to work and have an impact on other people. You see, Josiah took his platform. It happened to be the king of a nation. He was obedient to God. He used God to glorify him. And that's what God is calling us to do. Whatever our platform is, as a parent, as a brother, as an eight-year-old, as a five-year-old, as a middle schooler, as the boss, as the employee, to take that platform and glorify God. Ask God, what do I need to do to glorify you? You know, it may be just how you conduct yourself. It may be how you work. My wife and I were at the pool, and we were just playing with our kids, and she started having a conversation with someone who ended up being a pastor at Landmark, and his wife once she found out that, you know, we were at Grace Chapel, I work at Grace Chapel, the first thing she said was, I knew it. I knew you guys were believers. I could tell by how you talked to your kids. I could tell by how you interacted. 
And so often we minimize that impact. So often, you know, we just think it's an everyday thing, but you don't know the impact that could have on a single mom. You don't know the impact that could have at Kings Island. You don't know the impact that that could have at a grocery store, the example that you are setting with the platform you have been given. See, Josiah is an incredible story. It's an awesome story. There's so many lessons you can learn from it. But if we can take from it that we need to have the right type of intolerance, we need to eliminate sin, we need to be obedient. And how to be obedient? We trust the Word of God. We eliminate sin. Or first we recognize sin, we eliminate sin. And we need to be wholeheartedly devoted to God. Josiah was an eight-year-old king that brought his nation back to glory with God. Right? Most of us in here are just trying to figure out you know, everyday type things. He did it with the power of God. He did it by being humbly obedient to God. It says in Matthew chapter 7, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Not narrow in the sense that it's really hard to do, but narrow in the sense that it's the only way. It's the only way to enter God's kingdom, through Jesus. And we need to be obedient. We need to be wholeheartedly in that quest to enter God's gate. So I think it's always fascinating we hear these portraits and, you know, how do we connect the story to our life? And so often society tells us, well, you know, we need a King Josiah at a powerful position. You know, that'll change our nation. The next person elected in office, they'll solve all these problems. The next person or, you know, the next president, whatever, will solve all these problems. But we need to look at the story and apply the King Josiah to our life. Because every single one of us in here are the King Josiah in this story. If we take advantage of our platform, if we're obedient to God, and if we're wholeheartedly invested in God, we will make a difference. We will make a difference. I guarantee it. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity to talk about Josiah. I know I learned so much just reading about it. I pray that as we go out today, we take this challenge and we identify the platform we have out there. We identify, are we being obedient to you, God? Are we wholeheartedly invested in you? Are we taking our life and conforming it to the Bible? I pray we ask those questions and we challenge ourselves and we use those questions to drive us to an obedience that we've never experienced. That we use it to drive us to humility that puts us in position to have the greatest relationship we've ever had with you. I pray for an incredible week. I pray for everyone in here that they have a safe, awesome week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great Sunday and a great week. Thank you.